All right. Okay. Welcome to the Thereafter Podcast, a place where we explore life on the other side of faith change. We're here to break down the binaries, deconstruct the dualities, and wander through what it looks like to live in the gray. In church, we were told that life after leaving would be a bitter wasteland of unfulfilling hedonism, but we've discovered quite the opposite. There's actually a vibrant community of people on the other side of faith who are finding and co-creating space for hope and healing. Come along as we explore the all too often uncharted expanse of evangelicalism, evolving faith, and the life thereafter. Hi. How how are you doing? Um, good. Uh, did you catch any episodes of my new uh, the Megan and Mandy I show? I saw a spinoff podcast, a video pod. You're just like taking it to the next level. You're like we're doing video straight out well, of the here's gate. The thing. I, this is so. If for those of you who don't know, uh, Mandy K. Part and Kevin Nye were in town in Portland this weekend, and um, Kevin was promoting his book. Um, a Christian call to end homelessness or grace will lead us home. And um, I hope I got the title right because I'm, Kevin. Yeah, will, that's spot okay. on. You got it. <laughs> got it. Nailed it. So we were doing all these events and we hung out a lot. And so Mandy and I, as we met various people from Twitter and other friends, we're just recording these brief, like two minute clips um, called, we called it the Megan and Mandy show. And what I, what was hilarious is because before you and I even started co-hosting the podcast together, I remember I had listened to an episode of a podcast where the hosts like talked about nothing for 45 minutes and then led into an interview. And I remember telling you, if I ever get to the point where I think people think that it's interesting to just hear us talk about nothing, will you please stop me? And that's what I did all weekend long is just put out videos on Twitter talking about nothing. <laughs> It was great though. Quality content. Uh, I watched them all start to finish. No, you didn't. You already <laughs> told me before we started that you watched like, you were like, what I saw of it, I think I caught like two or three. There were 10. They were really Portland. good. You have some homework. They were really good. Uh, go back for all the listeners. It's on It's on Twitter. It's in the timeline. Um, so, you know, the, the clock on how long it will exist is ticking. But <laughs> yeah, as so long as Twitter is around, you can find it. Um, yeah, that was, you, you were having a ton of fun. I was definitely having some FOMO in a good way. I, I had a lot of compersion, uh, to use a Ooh, Tell term. us, I love this word. You've introduced me to this term and I want you to explain what this is. Cause I, I've asked people if they know, and there's a lot of people that aren't familiar with it. Yeah. It's like not a real word. Like it's like, it's a word that I think polyam folks made up. Um, but it's a great word. Uh, my, my, uh, uh, text autocorrect never gets it. It's like they don't know what it is. But uh, compersion is the opposite of jealousy. I mean, it's it's basically it is the feeling opposite of what you would feel seeing someone you love doing something without you uh, that typically might trigger jealousy. Uh, and if you have the opposite reaction, which is happiness, it's it's a happiness that comes from seeing someone you love doing something that they love um, that doesn't involve you necessarily. So, yeah, that's compersion. I was having a lot of compersion for you and Kevin and Mandy and 
so many other folks that are good Twitter buds who all live up in the PNW. Uh, shout out to Ben. Shout out to Matt. Uh, you know, so many, so many cool folks up there that we're getting to hang out. So, yeah, one of these days I'm going to get up to Portland again and hang out with all of you. I also can I can I like just rave about Kevin Nye for a minute? Please do. So I got to see like him and I have been friends for a long time and and I actually knew Kevin when this book was uh I knew Kevin when. <laughs> no. When the book you like was Kevin it was when. just proposal. Yeah. And um and it's been amazing to watch it. But what was really cool this weekend was I got to see him do a book signing, but then I got to see him sit on a panel with other people in Portland that are doing work in homeless services. And then he was part of the church service. Um he did the message for the church service. But um, especially the panel was so fascinating because one of the things that I think is really, really good about Kevin is he has an ability and, and actually all the panelists that were part of this has have an ability to like take questions that people ask that might have a lot of um, myths or stigmas about, you know, people experiencing homelessness and, and really like sit with that question and like honor the person asking that question, but also pull out the, the myth and the stigmatization and, and all of that and like kind of reframe it and then really deliver like a response that, that raises awareness and educates. And it's, I think that it's so important in that work, especially because I think there's a lot of people that do have a lot of questions and don't know a lot and are like need a place where they can say what they're thinking and not, and, and like, I mean, I think there's a, election last week. And so there were a lot of questions about politics and policies and like, why can't we just do this? Or why can't we do that? that? Like, why can't we just like sanction an encampment like over there on the other side of town when really like baked into that is like, can we put homeless people like over there, like where we don't have to see that? Like, and it was just, instead of getting angry at the question, it's like, Hey, let me unpack like what's behind that, even though that wasn't your intent and just kind of like raise awareness for like other ways of doing things. Like we can have um, subsidized housing in neighborhoods where we have neighbors that are coming out of having been unhoused, you know? And so like, it was just so good to see the interaction and, and an ability to have a safe place to ask questions, but also just like, I learned so much. And so I, I just I read his book. If you haven't picked it up, go read it. It's he, he, there's such wisdom there. He has so many good things to say. And I don't think there's a lot of people that are doing the work the way that these people are like the housing first model. Um, you know, let's give people, give people homes, put a roof over their head without requiring all these other things. So anyway, yeah. that's just my, my, yeah, for sure. Kevin. And, and go back and listen to the episode that we did with Kevin on, on there after pod. So if you, if that was one that you may have skipped, uh, or if you, got listening to the podcast after we did that episode, scroll back a little bit. We did an episode with Kevin, um, and he's wonderful. Uh, and I think that episode was a really great, uh, conversation as well. I think there's so much to what you just said that I feel like we could talk about it like for an entire episode. Um, but I just want to echo that as a person who spends a lot of time, reading and thinking and having conversations and trying to unpack subconscious and uh, ignorant like perspectives that I have on things. Uh, 
I, I just want to invite listeners into realizing that's all of us and, and doing our best to kind of model what you just talked about, Kevin and the other panelists having is as much as we have space for being able to repackage and, and, and reorient conversations and questions from people in a way that educates and a way that helps us all learn together. Um, because I know that that's been something that we have talked about so consistently on this podcast is you don't, you know, intent is, is awesome, but impact really does matter more. And, and unless we are able to have a forum among, you know, friends and, and within relationship to be able to, to learn and correct course, correct those things, then of course, we're going to get out into public forum and really try to do the work and sometimes not have all the information. And I found myself in that position many times. Uh, and it, it, it's a lot more painful and it's a lot more messy than it has to be if we could, you know, have some uncomfortable conversations um, within the context of maybe a relationship where you go, hey, the way in which you said that might have some of these underlying things. Uh, can I, you know, can I maybe make you aware of, of my perspective or what I've learned on those things? Um, I just want to, I guess, shout out you as a person who does that for me quite regularly uh, and has made me a better person um, because of that. Well, thank you. But I'll also completely acknowledge that it's an area of growth for me when it comes to talking to people that might not really understand deconstruction or might not really understand certain issues that I've kind of worked through and processed in my deconstruction journey. And so there definitely have been those moments that I've had where somebody, I'll be in conversation with somebody and they'll say something or ask a question. And like, I'm I'm still hurting. I'm still healing. And I'm very reactive sometimes where I'm like, how the fuck could you ask that question? Or how dare you? Or like, and so I think it like, even just seeing that modeled for me in the way that it was, I, you know, I do think there are times where conversations, certain kinds of conversations might not be healthy spaces for me right now, or like just depending on the topic or the depth or the, the type of relationship I have with the person. But I do think there are other times where there is an opportunity for a teachable moment that I might miss if I'm so reactive and so strongly reacting. And so it, it just kind of made me wonder. And I don't think there's like a black and white to it. I, I think there's, you know, nuance. And I think there's just people have to have the boundaries that they need to have. But it just made me kind of reflect on, huh, could I could I present some information in a way that's that that could help someone learn without turning them away, pushing them away, you know, reacting so strongly. Yeah. And I, and I think that there's, there's totally nuance to it. There's also like the opportunity for all of us to be on both sides of it. Right. And that's where that intersectionality that we talk about so often on the, on the pod and in other conversations we're having comes into play is, you know, there may be a situation where when we talk about queerness or non-monogamy, I'm teaching. And then there's another situation when it comes to race and um, maybe religion uh, or other things that are not something that I'm hearing or thinking where I'm, you know, needing to do some learning. And so I think we have to have a posture going into conversations about like, okay, how do I like 
teach or like bring things up in a way that helps other people around me grow? And then also how do I like respond in a way that presumes the person that is pushing back against my idea or my statement or my question might have some information to teach me about about something that's underlying in what I'm saying or what I'm asking. Uh, and so I think holding both of those things at the same time and realizing that all of us are both of those people is an important, you know, aspect to understanding that nuance. That's a really important distinction because as you're saying that, I'm kind of thinking about that panel that I went to. It was on a topic that I know very little about. Like I'm and, and like we're watching experts, right, on this topic. And I often think that when we're in conversations about other things, there's sometimes disregard for somebody else's ability to have expertise in an area. The the lines are a little bit more blurred on, okay, who has knowledge about this thing? Because I definitely think that I've been in moments where I I become reactive because there seems to be a level of disrespect of my ability to like know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I think that that, that leads really well, I think into the conversation that we have today, uh, because we talk with Jess, heathen queen, uh, on the pod today about engaging in some of these conversations and navigating, uh, pushback for lack of a better word. Um, and not always necessarily being nice, not always, uh, 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 you know, uh, just like turning over, but like sometimes punching back or punching up. Um, and I think that, you know, she adds some really great, uh, elements to this conversation, uh, when we talk about like, how do you assess the power dynamics? How do you assess the, the situation that you're in the interchange or the exchange of ideas that you're having? Um, and where do you extend, you know, maybe more grace and understanding for lack of a better word. And when do you stand up and, you know, punch somebody in the nose, which is appropriate at times. Yeah. For sure. This was a really great conversation. And I just want to also, as an aside, say that after we wrapped, we hung out for like an hour because she's so delightful. So. <laughs> it was so fun. Uh, yeah. And I think we're going to do that more often because I think she's a great hang and uh, we may work on some other things in the future, as is the case with so many of the people that we get to connect with on this show is is always looking to like, how can we connect in the future to maybe bring more people together, build more community. That's the point of what we're doing here. Um, and so, yeah, without further ado, uh, Heathen Queen, Queen of Heathens, uh, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, fame. Uh, she's on the show. Let's get into the interview. Let's do it. All right. Welcome to another episode of the After Podcast. Uh, Megan, you're here and our guest is here. Jess, the queen. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Excited about this one. Me too. Yeah, I I am a big fan of your work and the video interviews that you've been doing. I'm a little jealous that you're like doing the YouTube thing and doing the videos. We we that feels like so much to be able to do video. It's Is a it lot. a lot of editing and work and stuff? I will say a uh, shout out to Korea because I don't do the editing. So oh, my you. job is getting people to talk to me and then having the conversation. And like, I have done a little bit of editing on some of my videos, but largely she does it. So 
I don't know if it's a lot of work because I don't do it. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I could do it right now given I work, I own my own business, and then I also do all of this stuff. Um, so I don't know. You'd have to ask her. <laughs> cool. That's how I feel about audio editing. We don't audio edit either. We just have the conversation. We send it to the to to our guy Cody, who does yeah. all the editing, and most yeah. of the time it works flawlessly. We did have a little hang up uh, a couple weeks ago where the audio file got a little screwed up, but you know it's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Just the internet, you know, it's changing at a rapid pace. Anyway. Uh, Welcome to the show. I, I, before we get started, there's a lot of topics I think that we could talk about. Um, and we intersect across a lot of different parts of the internet. Uh, and so tons of different things that we could talk about. But why don't you give us just like the elevator pitch, like the short version of like you talk about religion, you talk about faith, you're not religious, mm. and you were religious at some yes. point. All right, so yeah, just give us the, the short pitch for oh, how that happened. A little bit of context. Uh, I, I grew up super fundamentalist evangelical. Um, if you are trying to figure out what my church might have looked like on a given Sunday, think like Pentecostal charismatic type thing. Technically non-denominational, very high control, very end of times, very left behind, <laughs> very all of that. Um, I grew up never really having these emotional experiences that everybody else around me seemed to be having. And I had a lot of questions that ultimately never got answered very well. And the way my brain works, when I have a question, uh, I can't just let it go. Like it's gonna fixate on it until I figure out an answer that would make sense to me. Uh, And so if you're trying to do that with the Bible, you're not gonna have a great time, unfortunately. Uh, So, that happened and I figured, well, if I can't feel God the way these other people feel God and I haven't for the last like 15 years, I'm going to research the Bible. And if I can just like prove using historical evidence that like the actual events in the Bible took place, not the miracles, nothing like that, um, then I'm just going to suck it up basically and say this is my lot in life. Like I don't get to feel these things, but I know that it's true. Um, Unfortunately, I grew up in a church, again, fundamentalist that said if one thing is wrong in the Bible, then throw it all out, which is like quite literally the worst retention plan in all of history. Yeah. Um, and so like, cause you can't even get past the first chapter, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so I started researching and figured out quite quickly um, that y- yeah, it, the Bible is not very historically reliable. Uh, and that was about 10 years ago. And it was sort of a slow process ever since. Um, we can or cannot talk more about that, but the sort of short version of that is that eventually I just wasn't a part of, just wasn't a part of it anymore. It didn't make sense to me. It didn't fit. And after I went back to school, went to college, um, it was really, really impossible for me to reconcile all of these people that I was meeting. If God created them this way, that he was also going to send them to hell for being this way, for being the way they were born. I just, it just didn't make sense. And that on top of, yeah, I can't actually prove anything really in the Bible or not much anyway, um, sort of led me to leave. And so I didn't get on TikTok until about a year and a half, two years ago at the behest of my younger sisters, because I am, yep. you know, old. Um, yeah, like all of us who were like, yeah, that's the kids thing. That was yeah, like, was I like, think my 12-year-old niece was doing that in like 2018 or something. And I was like, this is for children, this right? This is a children's dancing app, okay? 
Um, yeah. yeah. And so I got on because they wanted me to watch videos. I had no intention of making videos. Um, but then it was like the Kofifi pandemic. And so um, I was scrolling, scrolling, scrolling as one does when you have nothing else to do when the world's on fire. And managed to sort of stumble upon the deconstruction community there and saw a lot of people asking questions. And I was like, oh, like, I don't have the answers to everything, but I could point them to like scholarship or, or stuff that they could read to find the answers for this or share my experience. And uh, yeah, it all went from there. I'm curious, like just in going back a little bit into you're asking these questions and then you're like, was this something you were doing in isolation or were there people that you were able to have conversations with? Did you have community at that time? Um, so when I was in the church, obviously there was people I could ask questions to, but the answers I was going to get were very limited uh, in scope. And usually they're pointing me to the same set of books over and over again, right? Like, go read The Case for Christ. Like, yeah. Um, yeah Josh, Josh McDowell, The Evidence oh that Demands a Verdict. It's it's all there. It's all there. It's all there. If, like, if anyone read that read? book, they would be a Christian, obviously. Dude, the number of people that still tell me to read The Case for Christ, okay. Um, yep. it, it drives me up a wall, not going to lie. Anyway, when I was in the church... Yes, there were people I could ask, but all of these people were committed to the same answer. And so they're going to make sense of whatever they can effectively, right? So, like, you know, I spoke to Julie Ingersoll the other day, and she said something along the lines of, you know, young earth creationism really isn't any kind of science. It's a ritual in which you sort of sacrifice your rationality on this altar to sort of um, confirm or like reassert your place in this community. And it has nothing to do with the actual knowledge that's there. Uh, it's just you saying, I choose to believe this. And mm. that's effectively what it was, right? Like, and not just your young earth creationism, but like everything else that goes along with the questions in the Bible that there's not a actual good answer to. Um, now, when I left... I also was deconstructing in isolation because um, my family is, well, my mom and dad would say they're still Christians and they were Christians at the time. Again, I have four younger sisters who were kind of whatever about Christianity, but they're, they weren't, the, the sister that's closest in age to me is five and a half years younger. And so like I got the brunt of the indoctrination. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the time like she was old enough to sort of start becoming indoctrinated it was we were sort of past the like extremist hump um which i'm very glad for but it meant that like they were like cool whatever um <laughs> and yeah. so yeah and i think that there's something i i think that you're around the same age i won't make you say your age because i'm in my jesus year baby okay awesome cool <laughs> so like right there right around the same spot as i am I, I think that it's interesting that, like, when I grew up, we didn't have any frame of reference or, like, any exposure to people who were post-Christian or deconverted no, or whatever, right? they were whatever, all backslidden. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it really dis it just didn't. Like, there was no exposure, right? There was no social media, really. Like, we were on Zanga and MySpace and, Zanga. like, trying to, like... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, like... Like, there was no deconstruction, there was no TikTok. And so I do think that, like, 
that's part of the reason that evangelical like like community is freaking out so much right now is because kids and younger people from an earlier age are like facing information that's like oh this is bullshit <laughs> like well they like from can't control the age. flow of information anymore yes exactly exactly yeah. and and i and i just wonder what it would have been like because i was when i was a teenager i was reading tony Campolo and shane claiborne and some of these Ooh, people shit. who are putting out books uh Matthew Paul Turner, right, who's a wonderful man who's now a, a, a beautiful part of the community that we exist in. Um, but it was Relevant Magazine had just die. come on the scene. Brio. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there were these, there were these things that I had curiosities about that I had some exposure to, but we not having Twitter, not having Facebook, not having TikTok, not having Instagram, yeah. um, I didn't get exposure to these things. I have a question about, like, your entryway to these, you know, questions and answers being somewhat academia. You said that, like, you started reading the scholarship, you started reading some of the academic work on the Bible and biblical literacy and et cetera. What was that, I guess, what was your going into that? Did you have a skepticism about academia or was there something... Uh, I, I guess a narrative that you were given early on about like academics being, you know, trying to make you an atheist or were you worried about becoming an atheist? Yeah. So I don't know that I was worried about becoming an atheist, but I definitely had a skepticism of worldly scholars and I did worldly in air quotes, right? Yeah. Um, or secular Good on scholars. you. I always do air quotes on this podcast. And Meg's <laughs> and like, like, you no have to say me. when you do yeah. air quotes. This is an audio podcast. Bunny ears, bunny ears. Um, so as I've mentioned before, so I won't spend a whole bunch of time here, but I spent three years in a very, very, very conservative, like self-study program and called it school, right? Uh, shout out to Accelerated Christian Education. Y'all fucking suck. Um, but so, but part of this like very fundamentalist group that I grew up in was this teaching, um, that everything that goes against the Bible, regardless of what it is, is meant to deceive you. Um, and it's there to lead you astray. Um, and so Everything, everything, science, anything that went against young earth creationism, um, evolution was like a, <clears throat> like the school that I went to for three years said the evidence against evolution was that the Loch Ness monster existed. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So just uh, solid, meditate on that. Solid beloved. evidence. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but th that's what I was working with. Um, and so... My dad, who, not that this is, you know, the standard for being smart, it's not, but didn't even graduate from high school, thought that he was really well-educated in apologetics, you know, because he'd be reading all the apologetics books. Um, yeah, Lee Strobel, Case for Christ. Exactly. Like, it, it's, how can you... It's basically a bachelor's degree. Right, exactly. Uh, the, there was 500 witnesses, so obviously it happened. Um, don't worry about who they were, why nobody wrote it down, or the fact that we don't know them. Um, 
in any event, because he was super into it and I was... So I guess I should say this. I recently found out that I'm very likely on the spectrum, which makes a lot of sense about my younger years <laughs> because I spent a ton of time reading and researching and like trying to just gather all of the information that I could um, in ways that nobody else that I knew ever did. Um, and so I think trying to find these answers because I wanted to defend my faith, right? Like I wanted to be able to tell people this is true and this is why, um, led me to doing all of this research. But the research was all by Christian authors and apologists, of course, because you can't trust anybody else, right? Everybody else is trying to lead you astray. They're all deceived by Satan. They have their eyes covered, like yada, 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 yada. Um, and so when I finally, like, sorry, my dog in the background, when I finally um, decided that I was going to try and find evidence for the Bible, like, I I don't know why I finally admitted to myself that, like, I have to look beyond just people that are Christians. Like, I, I can't remember, to be honest, why I did that, but I'm glad that I did. Um, and to be fair, I think I picked up, like, a couple of Bart Ehrman books because they, like, caught my eye. Um, and they were popular level and, and whatever, and I started reading. And, like, they bothered me. Because even though I was hoping, like, I was hoping to find evidence, right, that could confirm the Bible and therefore confirm my faith, but instead I found someone who was really well-reasoned and who had also been a Christian um, and who was just like, you know, this is what I found in my years of being a scholar. And I know people have disagreements with him or whatever, but overall... The evidence he's providing is pretty well agreed upon in the field, right? Um, but yeah, it was definitely a struggle to be like, yeah, maybe these people aren't trying to deceive me. M maybe it's just the information that's out there. Uh... I'm I'm curious about that too because I think I was somebody that, um, well, I've talked about this a lot. Like I like I just like rules. Give me the rules, I'll follow the rules. And so when you were talking about going to college and then meeting people and being like, I don't really understand like how these people would all go to hell. Like in my brain, I had that experience, but my response to that experience was it's my responsibility now to just tell them all about Jesus and make sure they're all saved, you know? And so I'm curious, like, because I feel like you had this moment where you were like, wait a second, maybe instead of it being that narrative that I've been told my whole life, maybe there's a different narrative out here that says, these people are actually humans and like humanizing the people in front of you and like, and maybe loving them doesn't look like trying to convert them into my faith and way of doing right. things. Like what was that? Like, I'm just curious, like how did that shift for you? Because it, I feel like it took a lot for me to get from trying to save them all to like, oh wait, hold on. I can like listen and, and learn and learn from them and love them without trying to make them think the way that I think. Yeah. So I'm going to give a trigger warning before I give this answer. Uh, suicide. <laughs> I, when I was 21, um, or I was 20 and then 21, I had a partner and his name was Xavier. Um, and Shortly after I turned 21, uh, he shot himself. And that was like a defining moment in my life 
It was like the, who I was before that moment and who I was after that moment. And I um, clung to this idea after he died that like I had been told my entire life that God will meet you in your darkest, lowest, sort of most heartbreaking moments. Um, and because I had never really you know, experienced God in this way that everybody else around me had, I thought, well, for sure, this is the lowest point of my life. God will meet me, right? He'll meet me. Um, and so I made the decision to, God, go to a YWAM, Youth of the Mission, for those yeah. who are Oh my familiar. God, every, every part of your story, I'm like, fuck. Wow. Yes. Big mess. Big YWAM. Mess. Yeah. Damn, we can do Why a whole episode. Do that is the better question. Um <laughs> so I went over there, it sucked. Um and you know, spoiler alert, God did not meet me. Um but a bunch of oh never mind. Uh God did not meet me. We'll just leave it there. Came home early, was like, yeah, I don't I don't know, I'm not sure about anything anymore. Um and I began to wonder why I was trying to cling so hard to this God that seemed to not really give a shit about me. Um, especially given that, like, I had just experienced something so incredibly traumatic yeah, on the back of my entire upbringing being really incredibly traumatic. Um, and I won't get into all of that now, but, like, I had a very rough childhood. Um, and so I decided sort of independently of that, that, like, I did want to go back to school because I was 21 at that point, 20, yeah, 21, 21, 22. Um, and then I ultimately went back to school at 23 and it was this sort of intersection, I think, of meeting all of these people that were so, uh, vastly different and just very diverse, right? Different gender identities, different sexualities, different ethnicities, just all of that. Um, and then also I was studying at a liberal arts college. And so I was getting all of these perspectives that I never had before that really resonated they made a lot of sense, right? It makes a lot of sense that certain people groups are disenfranchised in this country and you can trace it through history and you can see that through line. And when you grow up in the white evangelical church, you get a very specific narrative. And I always sort of thought like, isn't it weird? Isn't it weird to anybody but me that somehow we were all lucky enough to pick the exact right religion at the exact right time that the Bible was talking about, like, it just, it seemed arrogant. And, yeah, and so it was this convergence of things, right? Like, I had just experienced this pretty catastrophic loss. Um, I felt like God had kind of abandoned me. I don't even know if abandoned's the right word, because I never felt like he was really there. And so, uh, abandoned would sort of imply that he was there at some point. Um... I went back to school. I started meeting all of these really lovely, incredible people that were trying to make the world a better place. And I just thought, how is it possible that I'm the only correct one? Like, how? What are the odds? What are the odds, right? So I'm, I was also an economics major. So I'm taking, like, statistic classes, game theory classes, like, all of these classes. <laughs> I'm talking about, like, odds for stuff, like, quite literally. And it's like... It's astronomical that, like, I would get it right and everybody else would get it wrong. Um, yeah, so I think that was sort of, like, there was a lot going on at one time. And my brain was just like, we cannot make this make sense anymore. It, like, it's, it's 
beyond our our ability. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm I'm wondering like the work that you're doing now with Queen of Heathens, Heathen Queen on Twitter, on YouTube. We're gonna post a lot of stuff in the links. We're gonna give you a chance to shout that out at the end of, of the episode because people should go follow and like consume the work that you're doing. But what is for just now, like what is what is the goal or what is your hope that the content that you're creating on TikTok, on YouTube, et cetera, like who's the person that you're trying to talk to? And like, who's the person that you're trying to, or the the thing that you're trying to talk about? What is that for you now at this, at this point in your life and in your Jesus year? (laughs) I have an absent father and a God complex and men follow me around. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm going to get so, nailed. So checks out. Sorry. That sounds right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I am writing, proverbially, a love letter to my younger self. That's the way I look at it, right? Like, I had nobody in so many ways when I was younger. And now I'm trying to create a space where people who are questioning... Um, and people who have left and are angry or people who have left and are lost or any of these people can come um, and find reprieve in any number of ways, right? So if you're questioning, I don't want to tell you what to believe, but I do want to point you to people who you could learn from and then make your own decisions. So I have no interest in everybody thinking exactly the same as I do. That's not what I'm after. But When I was questioning, I would have loved someone to say, hey, go read these three scholars. They have differing viewpoints. Uh, You choose, right? See what the experts say and not just what your pastor says. And in the same breath, I think that for a lot of people, being able to laugh at some of the things that you once held sacred is healing. And so I kind of make fun of like, this extreme evangelical weird alpha culture thing that's going on. Um, And I think my ultimate goal is just to democratize as much scholarship about as many pertinent issues as possible. And like largely it's related to religion, but I'm also have been branching out into race, which I think is quite closely tied to religion given the history of our country. Um, And so I think the people that I'm sort of hoping to um, reach or or sort of who I'm doing this for are people that are questioning, people that feel alone, people that don't quite feel comfortable with their own voice, but want, but are looking for someone who they can say like, yeah, yeah, like you're giving a voice to the things that I think, but I just don't feel comfortable or safe enough yet to do that. Um, I want to make people feel affirmed. I want them to feel seen. I want them to feel heard. Um, but mostly I want them to find a place where they can heal and come to their own conclusions. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think we've talked a lot on the podcast too about just like, it's not just 
social media content, it's community that we're finding in this space. And I think that, like you said, you know, you were, you were doing this alone for a long time. And I think it's, it's amazing to have people be able to create things that will make people feel more seen. I'm curious. Um, and I, and I'm asking this because I, this is something that's been part of my deconstruction too, but I feel like, um, I think you said it earlier, just as far as like maybe not presenting as an expert, but also like knowing that there are lots of people out there that have expertise. And, and I, I'm curious because part of it has had to, I've had to unlearn so much too. And so it's, I feel like while I'm on social media and while I'm putting out things, then I I'll see things that'll really make me pause and think. Cause I think there's a lot of this narrative of like, you can, you know, come out of fundamentalist fun, fundamentalism, but then you still have that in you kind of thing. And so what are some things that you've done that have, have, been helpful in shedding that fundamentalism that still tries to grab a hold of us on the other side of things. I've learned how to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm being honest, Uh, especially when it comes to issues that, how do I phrase this? So something that I think the term that gets thrown around a lot and that I will never, ever, ever pretend to be an expert on um, is like decolonizing, right? So like, I'm not ever going to tell someone how to decolonize. I'm not even going to tell them what it means. Right. But what I am going to say is like, go listen to people of color that are deconstructing, that have deconstructed, that are scholars, that are even theologians, right? Because like the different theologies that are out there, um, you don't have to believe in them, but it will give you this broad perspective that you didn't have before because likely you grew up in this very narrow sort of belief system. Um, and so that's one of the main things that I have done is just seek out people that have had different lived experiences than I have. And then I've just listened. Um, and when I felt like I want to respond or defend myself, I don't. Uh, I take that and I go sit with it and ask myself why I felt compelled to defend myself, right? Like, and it's something I talk about a lot because they, you know, on TikTok or wherever, if I talk about like men and women and I get tons of men in the comments that are like, not all men. And I'm like, you're right, not all men, but definitely that one. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the lion, the witch, and the audacity of this bitch. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry. Um, but like, why do you feel the, or why do I feel the need to defend myself, right? And it's largely because I've probably been told that what matters is that like I feel good, right? And so like, learning how to be quiet and understand that like somebody else's lived experience, um, can exist and can be true, and can make me uncomfortable. But that probably means that I need to learn. And not that I need to argue or defend myself has been one of the most important things I've probably done in the last 10 years. Because 10 years ago, I probably would have been, well, no, I definitely would have been one of those people that was like, not all white people. Um, and like, it's just not helpful. Yeah. It's not helpful. And all it is is like asking people to make you feel better, coddle my feelings. And why should they? Yeah. yeah. 
I, I, I think that leads really nicely into one other thing that I wanted to talk about um, on, you know, the, in this conversation is, is that you're not always nice. <laughs> I'm rarely nice. <clears throat> you're not, you're not nice. And like, it's not a part of your platform. It's not a part of something that you, but you, I see people come on your page. I see people come on your TikTok, your Twitter all the time. Like, oh, you're not being nice. You're not being nice. You're not being, you're not being, uh, you know, kind or whatever, it, whatever it might be. Right. You're, you, and, and, and I have seen you be like, go fuck yourself. I'm not here to be nice to you. <laughs> and, exactly and I think I that there's so much value in that because I think a lot of us were conditioned to be correct, to be right, to be nice, to be palatable. Yep. And you're like, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. Hit the unfollow button. Exactly. You don't have to follow me. It's fine. Um, I think there's a lot of things that go into that, right? Um, one, yeah, I think largely... and So I obviously, I grew up as a white evangelical female. That's what I can speak to. And of course, I was conditioned to be this deferential, nice sort of, you know... I don't know, fawning person. Um, as it turns out, <clears throat> it's not me. But yes, that's definitely what I was conditioned to do. And something that I've learned, and I learned this from people of color, was that this notion of civility, this notion of being nice to the people that are oppressing you, the people that are in power, the people that are harming you, civility is a tool that they weaponize to keep you in your place. And so... When men or Christians or whoever, and again, I'm a white woman, that's why I'm using these examples, come to me, they're usually saying things that are harmful or disrespectful, but they veil them, right? So they're not saying like, hey, go fuck yourself. But what they're saying is, you're wrong, you're lost, you're dumb, you're whatever, right? Like, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 blah. But they dress it up. Yeah. I don't dress it up. <laughs> like, I'm like, that's fine. You can bring that energy to me, but keep it. Because you're not going to like it when I bring that energy back to you. Um, and I just don't feel the need to coddle people's feelings when they find me. I don't go looking for them. <laughs> yeah. But they, they find me. And if you're going to bring that energy to me, then that's fine. I don't feel the need to be respectable or like... I just, I just don't. And I think that so often, um, white Christian men, to be honest, f feel like they're entitled to say whatever they want, whenever they want, uh, however they want. And that's their God given right, you know? And then if somebody comes back at them, they feel like they're being like oppressed or insulted. Now, I think if you are a white man, say, you have a better chance of engaging with that person civilly uh, and having them hear you, right? This is an example I use quite often. Um, if we're in school and there's a bully, and this bully is constantly beating up on people that look like me. For those of you who can't see me, I have purple and pink hair. We'll just use that as an example, right? That's all they're doing beats up on everyone that has purple and pink hair and, and is a woman, let's say. 
and you, Cortland, who is a man that doesn't have purple and pink hair, you could probably pull that bully aside, right? And say like, hey, yeah, you probably shouldn't be doing that. It's not ethically right. It's not good. It's not whatever. And like, he might listen to you because he respects you and he views you as equal, right? He doesn't respect me. He doesn't view me as equal. So I'm going to punch him in the face because there's a consequence for doing that shit. And I think that's what gets lost so much is that like there are not consequences for these people. And so when they show up and say something rude and I say to them, hey, you look like someone that pulls the fucking wings off of flies in the schoolyard and like you try and sell oregano at a kid rock concert. Uh, and then they get super like, like angsty because I hurt their feefies. And it's like, well, that's a consequence for being rude. If you want to come here and be mean and rude and tell me that I'm going to burn in hell forever and that I don't know what I'm talking about and I'm an idiot and I'm this and I'm that, um, then like, you know, buckle up. And if you don't yeah. like it, bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can go. I I think that there is a there is a a very very common misunderstanding in especially male Christian, uh, you know, Christian men, Christian Theobros, you know, the the archetype. We know the person My that we're talking about when we talk about this <laughs> yeah. this person, right? What's up, William um, Wolf? Yeah. <laughs> And and there is a particular type of person who who doesn't understand at all what we're talking about when we talk about equality, when we talk about uh, uh, fairness, when we talk about these these ideas, because they like to bring up like, oh, well, you know, Queen of Heathens was mean to me or, you know, these these women are 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 you know, whatever they want to categorize them as. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's the same for people of color. It's the same for non-Christians. Yeah. It's the same for people who are non-American. Um, uh, and, and there's always a separate category of people that they want to basically weaponize the idea of open-mindedness or equality right. to It's the paradox of intolerance, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, like, you can dress up your ideology that women are somehow less equal than men any way that you want. But when we take away all of the niceties, when we take away all the fancy language, you're still saying this really offensive message, right? You're telling me, and in no uncertain terms these days, that, like, I don't deserve autonomy, I don't deserve to be able to vote, like, they're not even hiding it anymore. But because they say it in this way that they think is, like, genteel, it's not being mean. Right? You have a fundamental misunderstanding of what mean is if you think that it's just the way that you um, convey your bigoted bullshit message. And I will never, ever, 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 ever put it on a t-shirt, meet bigotry with kindness. Not I. Uh, I'm not going to be the bigger person. I'm not going to take the high road. Because when you view me as less than, there is no high road. <laughs> like, you view me as less than. Therefore, no matter what I say, no matter how nice I say it, you've discounted it. So I just want to make you feel bad. Full stop.
No, but I think it speaks to I, you know, the hierarchy of power, and I and I just feel like there's this sentiment that like I, I, from white straight cis men, you know, move through the world in this way where I've been right, and so when I'm challenged. Of course, I'm still right. So I'm either going to double down on that or like there's not there's not going to be a backing off. I mean, I just yeah, I think it speaks to that, too, because um, just that fragility. It's yeah, super fragile. And I think like the thing is, is that if I could have conversations with people in which we like exchanged ideas and they were not just trying to win, I wouldn't really worry about being like oh I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really mean right like that's not that's not it but the thing is is the people that I respond to in this way their message pretty much across the board is violent it's violent toward anybody that doesn't look and think and act like they do and they again they might dress it up but when you bring it down to brass tacks their message is violent. And so I'm going to push back on that in a way that makes them think twice about being vocal about their violence or about their violence in general, right? So like something I've said quite often is I can't stop someone from having bigoted thoughts or feelings. I can't. But what I can do, and I've done this with my own family, is make them uncomfortable being bigoted around me. And that, that's kind of it, right? Like, I can tell them all the information in the world, and they may or may not listen, but ultimately, I want them to feel uncomfortable. I want them to think twice about spouting off whatever bigoted shit they have in their brain. I can't change what they have in their brain, but I can make them think twice about spewing that shit out whenever they want. Well, and I have a follow-up to that because I think that on top of them dressing it up, they're doing it in their mind with the, in the power of God, right? They're like, this is in the name of God. This is like the, and so it's like, well, it can't be white supremacist because this is the word of God, or it can't be racist because this is God's will or whatever it is. And so I think that like, that's the thing that, um, it, it is the driving force where it's like, you're so out of touch because we we're thinking like, we have people that are just thinking like, but this is how things are supposed to be because I'm working from quote unquote godly motives or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had this conversation, uh, a couple of times recently. Theology does not happen in a vacuum. Theology is always a response to external forces, right? It's always a response to what's going on around us. So, yes, of course these people, and I thought the same thing when I was in the church. They think that, hey, like, this is is God's message, right? This is what he wants. Um, But they think that, across the board bar none because it serves them and it supports their own power. It is incredibly rare that you see someone saying, this is God's message, his will. This is what he wants. Uh, and, (laughs) and then it's something that causes them to, I don't know, 
give all their money to the poor, <laughs> like quit being a dick, um, any of those things, you know? And so like all of our theologies, I think, are responses to external forces. And so I think until we can recognize that, like, or, or having recognized that, we can then see why people can make whatever they want out of the Bible. So they're saying, like, like one of my least favorite things is when people say, like, it's biblical. Oh, is it? Like, which, yeah, say that which of the 66 books? Yeah? Like, it's biblical, right? Like, sure. Pretty much anything in the world is biblical. You can find it anywhere in the Bible. Um, but can you find internal consistency about that issue? No. And you can challenge me on that. Yeah. So I guess one, one, one thing that I would be curious to hear your thoughts on is as somebody who is, you know, having conversations in academic spaces around religious study in, um, academic spaces around theology, um, and in a lot of social spaces around, you know, these social topics, um, how do we move away from, or, or do we need to move away from the binary between the religious and the secular? And, and is there spaces, I guess I, I, you know, we have a lot of friends of the podcast. Um, I'm an atheist. I, you know, call myself an atheist. I, I, atheists drive me nuts, like 60% of the time. Uh, there's so many white male assholes who are atheists who are so transphobic and so homophobic and so problematic and anti-Semitic and mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, oh et cetera. The an so, Sorry to interrupt you. The anti-Semitism that I have been like fighting recently has just been astronomical. Can y'all just stop? It's stop. a lot. Please stop. It's a lot. <laughs> so, so how do we, how do we create, you know, secular spaces uh, that also challenge those who bring in patriarchy and colonization and, you know, homophobia and et cetera, et cetera, into secular spaces. And I'm kind of curious about, like, what your thought is there as somebody who kind of sits in that intersection between those two things. Yeah, to be fair, um, I think when I first sort of I don't know, came on the scene, for lack of a better term. Uh, I didn't have a lot of fans. Um, and that's fine. Because I was comfortable with what I was saying. Um, and I think, like, I don't know if y'all were, if we knew each other at this point, but when I first sort of came on Twitter, I, <laughs> I kind of caused a commotion about Robert Price. Because I was like, hey, this guy is super racist. So if we could all stop platforming him, that would be awesome. Um, and it caused some shit. And I took some flack for it. And, you know, it wasn't great. But I was like, oh, yeah, well, it's true. So I'm happy to, like, take that on. Um, and... God, how do we create these spaces? I don't know that I have an answer for how we create these spaces. I think everybody has a role to play. Uh, kind of like how I was talking about earlier. So if there is someone, and I just keep using this example, that is a, that's an atheist, 
but who is also a white man and who is maybe bringing in this patriarchal sort of might not even realize it's white supremacist but like that's what it is um misogynistic like all of these viewpoints then maybe somebody like Cortland goes and talks to them right behind the scenes doesn't embarrass them doesn't call them out like maybe they don't need that maybe just say like hey bud like let's have this chat because like you might want to think about this in a different way um and I think that can be really effective if you have that rapport if you have that trust if you have that um social currency I think there's also a space for folks that are in the, how do I say this, um, for folks that are punching up, <laughs> right? Like, it might also be fine for them to be like, hey, yeah, don't be a racist. Um, and I realize, or don't be a misogynist, or don't be whatever. And I realize that might be really uncomfortable for a number of people. And I'm not saying everybody serves the same role. They don't. I don't think that everybody could or should engage with people the way that I do, right? It wouldn't work. But I can engage with people the way that I do, and then people like Joshua Bowen can go behind the scenes and talk to these people because they have that social currency with them, and they can say, like, hey, I know you don't like her the way she's presenting this message, but she's right. Like, here's the, you know, here's why. Um... And so I think, like, we all have a role to play in that, right? We can't all do the same thing. We don't all have the same voice, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't all have the same voice. I think what's important is that we're all aware of the community that we're trying to create, which is inclusive and affirming and welcoming and diverse. And we all work towards that in our own ways, and we collaborate to make sure that we're doing our best to create those spaces. Because like I know something that I noticed when I sort of started doing interviews and hosting panels was it was a whole bunch of white people. <laughs> and I too am white. I am a full-time white person. Um, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are someone that is regularly hosting panels and regularly having guests and you're noticing that all of your guests are white men, then maybe ask yourself, like, hey, how, how am I actually actively trying to build the community that I say I want, right? Mm. That doesn't mean you have to stop having white people on, clearly not. But it means, like, maybe spend a couple of minutes and see who else you could intentionally include that is equally as brilliant and has a different lived experience that might add way more to the conversation, um, or at least add a different perspective to the conversation. And so I think a lot of it boils down to awareness and teamwork, to be honest. And I know that sounds really like elementary, but I think it's true. Mm. I think that that's so good. And I, and I, as a white man, as the white man representative here in this conversation, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm challenged by that because I think that there is, it's easy, maybe not easy. It's much easier to when somebody shows themselves to be misogynistic or patriarchal or whatever it might be in an interaction with my friend Megan or my friend Jess and me as, you know, 
you know, good feminist Cortland comes on the scene and goes, hey, fuck you, man. You know, don't treat my friend this way. Don't be such a misogynist asshole, whatever. Much easier than two months ago noticing a subtle thing in maybe something they said or a DM that was sent or an interaction that we had. And I have to put my comfort comfort exactly on the line to go like, Hey man, that makes me kind of like not feel so hot about you. Right. Um, Without it being like, like, Oh, you made my friend uncomfortable. Therefore I'm standing up for them because that can seem to, th- to the other person. This term that I've seen thrown around a whole bunch was like, you're just white knighting. Um, exactly. And it's like, first of all, Okay, but it's it's a lot harder when it's something that you're not going to get any reward for publicly or any acknowledgement for. Um, and that's true of white women as well. I'm not 100%, it's true across yeah. the board, but like we've seen that. Yes, sure. it's a lot harder for me to say to my friend with nobody watching and not in a public forum that like, hey, that thing you said, it's it's not it's disrespectful or it's racist or it's whatever and here's why um that is a lot harder than seeing someone say some shit in like the public square you know and they're like lashing out and then muting them and i'm not saying that's what folks are doing but like there is a difference between like what's on the line in those two things yeah yeah i mean i think exactly i mean i hope that those who are listening who identify similarly to me are listening to that because I definitely think that that is something that, you know, even since doing this podcast with Megan, Megan has, has made me better by bringing stuff up with me and going, Hey, I don't know how this hits. I want you to think about this a little bit more. And people didn't do that previous to her doing that with me. And it's made me a more aware and inclusive person and vulnerability again, I can hard. sit here and be grateful for that, or I can go like, "Oh, I have some responsibility to then take that and do that in a in a way that actually makes change." So I yeah. really appreciate what you said there. No, thank well, you. and I think we all have the like the responsibility to like have those places too. Like you were saying, Jess, like when when there's something that you sit with that you're processing that you're like, "Oh, hold on," like I'm gonna listen for a minute. I'm just gonna like shut up and sit back. And and there are places that I think a lot of us have where we might privately dissect those things and say like, Hey, like this didn't sit well. I'm trying to figure out why and in places where there's room for growth. And, and I think that's part of community. And I think that's part of the evolution because I know when I first started out in all of this space, I was like, I want to be as inclusive as fuck, right? Like I, I want to like, you know, everyone's welcome at the table. And I know there's like some spiral dynamic in there that I spiraled out of because pretty soon you realize like maybe everyone isn't welcome because maybe there are people in that space that are going to cause harm to other people in that space. And so it's been this cautious tension of like, how do you create inclusive community and also make it a space where people can be open and vulnerable without it being this a harmful, toxic place, which is, I think, right. a difficult tension to live in. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I would never claim to have mastered it. I, I think what I try to do is recognize all of the places that I have privilege 
And then when people with similar privilege, whether they recognize it or not, show up and do some problematic shit, um, I then take it upon myself as much as I can to shield people that would be harmed by it um, and, and deal with it, right? Because if someone shows up and says something about, I don't know, um, let's just say Jewish people for the time being, because that's what's come up recently. What they're saying doesn't harm me. I'm not Jewish. Um, but it does harm a lot of people in my community. But I can run defense without it really taking a toll on me because it's not part of my identity. Um, and so I think that's one of the more important things that I've sort of realized that th is that there is an emotional toll that comes with having to defend your right to exist, <laughs> your right to equality, um, in general, your rights. So oftentimes, if I'm dealing with a misogynist, I'm going to have no patience, no grace, don't care, going to read you down to your boots. But I do then expect, or hope anyway, that my male friends will sort of bring up the rear and say like, hey, let's talk man to man, right? Like, let's chat. Let me tell you why this isn't okay. And that is what I try to do, sometimes more gracefully than others. Because once I realize that someone just like doesn't want to learn, they just want to be right, I just want them to shut up. And I'm pretty good at making them do that. Um, but that's the thing, right? And so there, there, of course, always is that tension, especially if it's in a community of exvangelicals or atheists or whatever you want to call it. But I think it's recognizing your privilege and then recognizing when you can use that privilege to stand in the gap, to use a Christian term, to prevent harmed, marginalized communities from more trauma when you can yep. shield them from that without really any, like, harm or trauma to yourself. Yeah. 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 A thousand percent. Fucking preach. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thought on the matter. Um, yeah. I love that. And we're getting towards the end. Meg, if you have something else no, you can ask. Um, but I was going to just uh, go ahead and just hand it off to you, Jess, to, to tell listeners, you know, where people can connect with you, the Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, et cetera. We'll put it all in the show notes too, but give people a rundown on where people can find you and the work you're doing. Well, according to people on my TikTok, um, I am the queen of hell. So last child of Satan. So you can find me there in hell. No, um, <laughs> I am on TikTok as Queen of the Heathens. I am on Twitter as Queen of Heathens with the uh, O in of being a zero. I am also on YouTube as Heathen Queen. I do long form interviews with scholars and any number of other people there, but largely academics and scholars and sort of people in the atheist community. Um... Is there anywhere else? I am on Facebook. <laughs> Boomer website. That's Just the way the I HQ. say it too. Yeah. When I talk about Facebook, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm also there. kind of on Facebook. <laughs> I'm, I'm there, but it's just like a bunch of random people that have added me and I don't even know that they know who I am or what I do. And that's fine. Uh, I'm on, <laughs> I'm on Instagram. Uh, I think it's Queen of the Heathens. I don't know. You can link them. But yeah, I'm We're all over the place. The Exactly. I also have Patreon, whatever. I would say if you're looking for where I'm most active, it's TikTok and Twitter. Um, and then YouTube, obviously. But, like, I can tweet all day long 
it takes a little bit longer for me to like interview and upload to, to YouTube, but I would appreciate it if y'all subscribed there. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. YouTube is great. Go subscribe to the YouTube. I'm not on YouTube. Like I wish I was maybe we'll if get you Twitter, on my like, channel. yeah, I mean, I'm subscribed. If Twitter like just like <laughs> totally like burns to the ground, maybe I'll just like be on YouTube all day. Who knows what Who knows? might happen? But yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sub to your to your YouTube, Mason Meninga, several other people on YouTube that I wish I hung out with more. So Mason and his holy anus, uh, or whatever the <laughs> hell he said. Is that what his YouTube channel is now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mason, that's the only fan. The Sorry, sacred uh, anus. What's I'm up, Mason? Getting the, <laughs> the platforms confused. Sorry. Uh, anyway, very grateful to have Sorry. you on on the show. I hope our listeners connect uh, with the work you're doing, and and you've just been a great friend uh, to 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 me and Meg, and and we're excited to see what happens next. We'll I'm yeah. sure do some other things in the future together. Thank you for having me. Y'all were amazing. I hope I didn't run too many people off your show. <laughs> Not at all. We're here for uh, it. No, that's great. Just like. You know, it's who I am. But thank you for having me. Um, I hope that anybody that's interested finds me. Because uh, I actually am a nice person. Yes. Unless you're a bigot. Can't confirm. <laughs> yeah. If, <laughs> if you're good people, Jazz is good people. So. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Well, until we reunite again yes. uh, for something else, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Bye, humans. All right. What a delightful human. A hundred percent. And what a great season we've had. I'm just like blown away by the guests that we have had the opportunity to have conversations with. I'm really excited about all the guests we have coming up. We have a few uh, of those conversations recorded um, and a few of them scheduled uh, to be coming out. And, uh, you know, folks who are listening, uh, what do we have in final thoughts uh, for, for the folks that are still hanging on after the interview's done here on this episode? Oh, I don't think we have a lot. Uh, one last time, we can put a plug out for um, Denver this yeah, weekend. happening this week, this weekend. Friday night, we're going to be hanging out with uh, Straight White American Jesus, Brad Onishi, and some folks, and then we're going to be um, seeing a little bit of AAR. So if you're around Denver and you want to hang, uh, give us a shout out or send us a DM. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll put, we've continued to put a link to that event in our show notes each week. Uh, there's a code it's left L E F T, uh, to get you a discount on in-person or virtual, uh, tickets. Yeah. You can if, zoom in. Yeah. If you want to do the virtual, if you're not able to make it out to Denver, definitely hop on and do that. Uh, if you're anywhere near Denver and want to join us in person, we would love to see you. And uh, in addition to the event, we'll probably be hanging out uh, somewhere uh, in town as well. So, uh, you know, uh, hit us up. We'd love to, to connect. Again, community is, is what we're doing here. So uh, that's the, the, the end goal uh, for most things that we do. Where can people find us? Uh, you can find me across the internet at Cortland Coffee. Uh, of course, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, all the big ones. I'm back on Tumblr again uh, at Cortland Coffee. Uh, I'm on Mastodon now. Uh, you know, I've got all kinds of social medias to keep me busy these days. 
Uh, so yeah, connect with me any of those places. And you can find the podcast at Thereafter Podcast on Instagram and Thereafter Pod on Twitter. And before I say mine, I just want to say we did talk about coming up with a canned outro that just said all this stuff without us doing it every week. And somebody sent us a message and was like, please don't. We want you to say it. People <laughs> want us to say it. <laughs> Improv. There you go. And you can find me at The Pursuing Life on all the places. Um, Facebook, Instagram, the one that might die. Yeah, yeah. And and enjoy, uh, enjoy. I don't know where that word came from. Enjoy. You can enjoy being a part of the Patreon. (laughs) We do want to shout out that we do have the Patreon, Patreon slash ThereAfterPod, that you can join. And we're going to be trying to do some different things with patrons. Uh, We do have a few folks that are signed on and support us every month. Uh, And those are incredible people who are doing that. And we're going to be looking to do some things specifically with patrons. Um, For the time being, there's not a ton of extra perks other than just knowing that you're supporting the work and making it possible for us to do these episodes every week. Yeah, I think that that'll do it. All righty. Until next week. Until next time. We'll be here.